0: I'm really looking forward to this, actually, because, you know, Robin's got very strong opinions on this.
1: Well, what's this? A midweek episode? Well, yes, we do have a special treat here for you. An interview with my fellow Instec London partner, Robin Mertens with guest host Mark Gagan. Now Mark, for those that don't know him, was previously editor of Insurance Insider and today is the producer and host of the Voice of Insurance podcast. I'm Matthew Grant, the other partner at InState London and your usual host for our podcast series. Now, electronic placing platforms are ubiquitous today in most industries, but in insurance they've been slow to catch on, particularly in wholesale and specialty markets like London. Well, 2020 demonstrated that electronic placing is possible and the digital exchange of data and underwriting is at the heart of the future of Lloyds. Our e-placing platform report is a second in what will be an ongoing series of guides to what is happening in critical segments of insurance and risk management. You can find our parametric insurance report on the website. And these are gonna give a perspective on the topics we cover, how we got here, and which companies are active in this area, and also a hint of what the future might look like. Our e-placing platform report is coming out on the 28th of January and you can also download that from our website. Now Robin has over 30 years experience in the insurance industry and as he will explain to Mark in a moment, he has been at the forefront of trying to get to the industry to adopt platforms in that time. And few people are better placed to talk about this subject than Robin. You can download this report currently free from the Instat website or just Google e-trading platforms past, present, and future. You should be able to get, to get a link from there. Uh, and before we kick off the discussion with Robin, I caught up with Mark Gagan to find out how things have been going since we last spoke. Mark, it's um, fantastic to have you as a guest interviewer for Robin. Well, first of all, it lets me off the hook, but also you ask some great questions. And uh, so thank you, for, uh, thank you for agreeing to take this on. No problem at all. It's just it's nice to
0: get back into our collaboration because, we, you know, we, I've, I've done lots of things with you before. We move in several circles, but you obviously you're so focused on technology and I'm much more sort of a generalist about insurance in general. You are going to be a great advocate as the industry moves towards technology with some of your old friends out there. I was a broker back in the dim and distant past. And, you know, I actually trialed in 1994 a broking system that was ambitiously called Broker 2000. <laughs> and uh, I've been looking forward to electronic placing ever since, you know, and, and okay, as it happened in the last four or five years, but it certainly didn't happen by the year 2000, I can tell you that.
1: I last spoke to you on September 2019. You were editor of Insurance Insider then, and then since then you set up Voice of Insurance, which seems to be doing really well, but I'd uh, just be good to hear it in your own words, how that's been going. Yeah, I've done 64 podcasts in the
0: last year, and I'm just really glad that I'm being able to make a living doing this. I've got the confidence now that I'll definitely be here this time next year and so i'm really really glad to also to be able to get back into doing something with you guys because you know, you've been really helpful to me uh, you showed me a lot of you pioneered the way in insurance podcasting i think and and you've been very you were very helpful you gave me lots of top tips about how to get it started so i'm really looking forward to having a, another bit of banter with uh, uh, mr mertens because he's he's got he's such a great character and uh, i'm sure we're going to really get stuck into something which is really of course his chosen specialist subject
1: well mark I'm going to get out of the way now and let you point your uh, journalist investigation and questions at Robin. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the results. So thank you very much and look forward to hopefully seeing you face to face at some of our events again when we get back together uh, later in, uh, in the year. We're all being, being optimistic about something happening. Oh, I can't wait. Excellent. Thank you very much. Robin, your e-trading platform
0: report is brilliant and obviously it must be read in conjunction with this podcast. There are so many themes that's come through and that's what the podcast is going to be all about. We're going to be talking through the main themes that have come out of this report. But I think it's really important that you set the scene. What do you think really needs to happen in the industry?
2: Thank you for, firstly, for for flattering me and for agreeing to be our guest host. I appreciate the compliments. As you know, I have a certain amount of uh, history here and, and I came back to the subject for the first time in a long time because Blueprint 2 had been written, which seems to me to uh, change the landscape a little bit. And I sense that there's more momentum and enthusiasm in this space now than there has been for a long time. How we make it happen from here, the answer to that is to get on with it. If you're me and you've been in and around the space for 20 years, you kind of look at it and you think to yourself, we haven't really achieved a lot in that time. And we will never get a better chance to push this over the line than we have right now, partly because of COVID and and creating the kind of burning platform, partly because there's good technology out there, partly because the industry really
0: needs it. When we're looking at this end goal, we're talking about an e-trading platform. Is that just digitizing everything that we've already done, The, the way that we already work? You have read the report.
2: That's a really good question. This is one of the great entrepreneurs in innovators' dilemmas, this I regret to say that what we're doing is we're simply digitizing what we have now. And there's a very good reason for that, which is that's how you have to drive adoption. So I think if you were to push the boundaries too far right now, you would lose hearts and minds because what they want to see and what they believe is needed is a digital equivalent of what you say. So think slips, think quotes, think and uh, in the wider world, in the 20 years where we've been thinking about this, the way that digital works has moved on. And there are now digital models which are not the equivalent of what we did before and which are going to uh, come along and uh, make our lives quite difficult. So, so I think for us, it's a balance. You know, it's about driving adoption. But we can't lose sight of the fact that there is a broader landscape there that we have to play into. We can't, we can't ignore it.
0: Do you think psychologically, given that we are quite a slow market to take up new technology, that we do have to go through that intermediate stage, even though I know that people like you, Robin, would love to jump to the really good stage, at, at the, the way we've got the full platform? Do you think, do you recognise that probably do need to drag those people along and digitise them first before we can completely change the way they do business?
2: Oh, no, for sure. I know I'm prone to be critical, uh, but, but, but I've, I've had first-hand experience of how difficult it is to drive, uh, adoption and and I had business analysts you know even you know in 2001-2003 come to me and say why do they do it this funny way why don't they do it like this and why don't they do it like that and we would say no keep it like it is that's what we have to do because otherwise we can't get the users kind of aligned with with what we're trying to achieve so I, I do think we need the the intermediate phase um, and, and what intrigues me about the opportunities now is that I think white space and PPL do the digital equivalent thing really well. And then there are new platforms out there that are really starting to push the boundaries with fundamentally different ways of pricing, with using auction technology, you know, providing user experiences that are uh, different from simply moving slips around in PDF. And I think that what blueprint two does is open up uh, this to kind of private enterprise and say, Look, let there naturally be winners and losers, and let's see the propositions that are the best, and that the users really want to adopt. You know, fight it out.
0: So we've got an end goal, and we've got a rough idea that we might have to have an intermediate way of getting there. What are the main issues we're going to face as we go along this journey?
2: Several, and the really intriguing thing about writing these reports is that what you stumble across isn't necessarily what you anticipated you were going to write about when the when the when the report started. Um, It seemed to me that there are probably three really big issues, and the first and the most important that we spent some time on in the report was this issue of data standards. We're simply not getting the benefits that we could achieve through e-trading because we don't have a connected technology universe. It's a long time ago that you and I were talking about straight through processing and straight through processing in other industries doesn't even get talked about anymore because everything is straight through because they, they live in a truly connected, digitally agile world. We haven't even achieved straight through processing because it's very rare that we can get two systems to talk to each other. And until we can do that a lot better, then the benefits of e-trading are always suboptimal. So that would seem to me the biggest thing to work on and I and I look at that and think you know we we haven't yet got all the answers and perhaps you and I can talk about this in a, in, a, in a little while further on because it needs more detail but the absence of connectivity and standards is a, is a big issue the influence and control that the brokers still maintain over speed of progress and the liquidity is uh, overwhelming so I use in the report the word kingmaker if marsh and i want to do this it, it happens pretty quickly in the absence of their clear direction it's a lot more difficult and, and the brokers are going to have to kind of grapple with that and and then the, you know the last point is the point we've just discussed how far do you push this how innovative do you want to be what's the dilemma between pushing for the optimal benefits and losing the users such that you can't drive adoption in the first place
0: well great so we've got- Brokers, standards, and then how far and how fast you want to go. Let's let's go with the brokers first. One of the big things with them has always been this fear of being disintermediated, being cut out of deals because of technology connecting their clients directly to insurers. How do we get them on board and how do we stop them worrying about all of that?
2: I wish I knew the answer and I bet the hierarchy at Lloyd's wish they knew the answer too. They have a natural defense against disintermediation, which arises because they have two different communities to serve. They look one way, they look to their left and they talk to their customers and they do that on one set of technologies and they may do that on the phone and they may do that in a portal, But but that's one piece of technology. And then they look to their right and they load up onto PPL and they have a completely different piece of kit that they use then to do their digital transaction in whatever form that takes that breaks the link between the customer and their data and their needs and the insurer. And that serves the broker really well, because there's no way they can control then the speed of progress, uh, who owns the data, who has the customer relationships, and they keep the power. In this world that I'm talking about of true digital models, uh, they're, they're driven by ecosystems in which all parties play on the same platform. And, and that creates this direct link between the customer and the insurer, you know, the source of risk capital. And, and, and I could see that that's a threat, but it's also inevitably the end game. The brokers only meaningfully engage with this when they can get their heads around the requirement of their, at least on some classes of business, to be a complete rethink of their model and, and for them to look at the way they really add value. And to stop thinking of the transaction as the way they really add value. That's what brings them to the party. I don't know how advanced they are in, in their thinking about that. I don't have access, really. But but I I see their dilemma. And I uh, for those who lead those organizations, that's a, it's a tough one. But they really need to come up with some answers because they hold everyone else
0: back. So it's really about their own value proposition and them being comfortable that they're actually adding a huge amount of value in lots of different ways. And it's really not about the transaction because certainly other intermediaries that have digitized don't make money out of the transaction anymore, like stockbroking, for example.
2: I think the threat is hugely overdone. I don't see it as a threat. in, In one way, it's an opportunity. They are so naturally the partner that should be providing risk advisory, risk management services. There's so much to be done, even in the digital world, in in the kind of product engineering, the product building. There's so much for them to do that adds value, that, that this sort of preoccupation with the transaction is, is the thing that they need to get over. And I think they know that. I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know. It's just, you know, when they do it.
0: Um, one of the other things about brokers, and certainly mentioned your report it's certainly the larger ones, often they have their own proprietary platforms that they're using themselves. So how do we get them onto a platform when, you know, they're going to keep wanting to get you to use their one? Yeah,
2: it's a really good question. I mean, I touched in the report about the history uh, of, of platforms and, and there are certain themes that come and go. And one of them is is sort of proprietary platforms. And this idea that if you have standards, then then it's easy to kind of create a network and everybody can play on their own technology and it all joins up neatly in the middle. It simply hasn't worked. There are a lot of proprietary platforms. They were all dusted down during kind of COVID and when Lloyd's closed and and they gave, you know, some brokers with some class of business the ability to move seamlessly into a, a digital paradigm. My sense of that is that Marsh or Aon, if they built a proprietary platform, there's no way that any carrier could turn it down. It's a model that that they could make work. I think if you're smaller than Aon or Marsh, I think the proprietary platforms are really difficult to get going because they create such a dilemma for the insurers as to how many platforms are they going to have to integrate with, how many are they going to have to learn, how many are they going to have to kind of include in in their business. And I think it's much more difficult, but, but Marsh and Aon, they could do it. You know, will they, I, I don't think either of them have the appetite to kind of bet the shop on technology building. I'm sure that if they could find the answer to their prayers in, in externally owned technology, they would rather go that route.
0: So I think this brings us neatly onto, onto common standards. It seems to be going back to everything for one with common standards. We've already had a cord for about 20 plus years does this model work or are we going to have to look at other industries and other sectors and see what they've really done with this? I would assume that that Accord has got all these standards and we should just adopt them. Is that right? Or, we, or am I going barking up the wrong tree here, Robin?
2: I'm not sure I didn't sort of think along similar lines when I started out. Uh, and I had to take some smart counsel around this area because the more I looked at it, the more I uh, was uncertain of my ground. But I think that. Where we've got to is that, that the technology that wins the day is, is REST, RESTful APIs, uh, every other industry is building APIs. All the big tech companies are assuming and work with APIs. So if that's the route we go, and, you know, slightly belatedly, the tech that we all work with in Lloyd's and in the commercial specialty world is starting to put those, put APIs in on all key services. So, so we're starting to get the framework. If we go that route, then... You know, I'm not sure that Accord have all the answers uh, and they're very much a data standards organization and they work to a private membership model. And if you are a member, you get access to the standards. Fair enough. In the world that I'm talking about, the people you're going to work with, the number of data sources, counterparties that will uh, join our digital world involves lots of people who are not likely to be members of of a chord. and I think it needs a kind of a GitHub type model that works more to kind of open source type mentality. Which is, I have my way of integrating. I'm happy to share it with everybody. I've put it in the public registry. Anyone can view it. You know, I see it as a as a way of of of, of helping people engage with and adopt my technology. So I'm not going to be kind of all secretive about it. But that that mentality we don't have, and we don't have the resources. Uh, and we don't yet sort of have a much of a framework around which we could start to drive this much needed connectivity. That really worries me.
0: Let's uh, bring us on to Blueprint 2, because Blueprint 2 Lloyd's has envisaged common standards, but not common systems at, at its core. So for one, I presume they should be applauded for that foresight. But do you think this could be the way of, of bringing this open source um, more m- modern way of doing things where you give away your IP to make sure that people use it to sort of give something away to get something bigger in return. Do you think this could be the place where this, this GitHub of, of insurance uh, technology is fostered?
2: Yeah, I do. I think possibly lawyers have a really big role to play there. So, so firstly, yes, I do applaud them for the decision to withdraw from building their own technology and encouraging private enterprise. Uh, I don't think that as a market we have a good history of kind of consensual infrastructure and platform buildings so so good to stay out and there's enough good ones that uh, the market could adopt and and let that be a kind of um, space race uh, and see who wins and then as you rightly say it requires an element of standardized process and an element of standardized data and a integration framework which makes it incredibly easy to do multiple uh, integrations and for let multiple platforms play uh, that that's the bit that doesn't exist and, and that creates a huge dilemma for lloyds and they will be thinking about this how do you bring that about in other words i can't help thinking you're having more committee meetings again because it has to be done consensually you, you simply can't impose standards on people if they won't adopt them so, so that has to have an element of consensus. And then the nightmare is, I think, the funding model, because if I'm right and you can't have private members type of uh, accord approach to this, which is you pay, you get access, then somebody has to pay and everybody has to get access. And I can't see how that could be any other organization, at least at the outset, other than Lloyd's. There are private organizations who understand the issue and are uh, seeking to to kind of take the initiative. There's one called Reconcile, which comes out of Quomplex, which is a not for profit organization that is basically trying to kick this off. And I know that they're doing exactly the same thing in Italy. So uh, I, I would thought that somebody kicks them off. Uh, and then the, the market organizations sort of wrap their arms around them. But the issue of funding remains, uh, I don't know the answer to that. Someone's got to pay for something that everybody else uses. You know, that's a, that's a tough one. We're not good. We're not good at those sort of models.
0: Do you think there has to be some form of compunction from, from Lloyd's? Obviously people could be dumping all these fantastic different standards into the insurance version of GitHub if it gets off the ground, but does, Somewhere like Lloyds have to say, well, let's all use this one. Let's use Linux or the equivalent and say, well, let's all agree on that without it having to be too Darwinian. Do they have to make it compulsory at some point to say that we've got look, we've decided now we've got to use this? I
2: think that at some point, yes. You know, you look at the way that other industries have done it. In the end, it's Darwinian and the, the best tech adopted by the most people. I mean, I, I think there's a nice expression that i was given and put in that report which is uh, the way you judge standards is not by their technical excellence but by their implementation if you use the one that everybody implements it's going to be the right one and normally people implement the one that's easiest to use that is that is kind of they pick up a natural momentum so i would have thought that lloyd's or anyone else waits to see Darwinian way w- which is the natural winners and then at some point you just you know you just you knock everything else out by saying this is the one
0: and then you get this kind of Cuthbert moment where the Linux for Lloyd's gets posted for free and it's like everybody this is for everybody kind of you know Tim Berners lead moment
2: it seems like a long way off but that must be the model and, and, and as I said before you know I don't have the answers to that but I did think when I was finishing my report that that's the one area which is least mature, with the most unanswered
0: issues still in it. One question before, before we start to round up. Where's the customer, the insurance-buying customer in all of this?
2: I think it's amazing. You know, we at Intech London are just as guilty as everybody else. Every now and again, I stop and I think to myself, we, you know, we, we've just had 5, 10, 12 meetings, and we haven't had a single customer in the room when we've been talking about what the future of insurance looks like. And I think we're very, as an industry, particularly in a broker-driven world, uh, if you ask the underwriters or you ask the syndicates and the insurers, you know, naturally they would say the customer, the customer's my bro- this is the broker, he's my customer, he's the one, he's, he's, that's their interests that I need to, to look after, sort of. And then I look at what Mesk have done with InsureWave, which they don't now own. But they basically came along and said, I'm fed up with the service I'm getting. Uh, I'm not getting cover notes until after the voyages have finished. If you don't sort yourselves out, then I'm going to do something about it. And we didn't. So they did. And they've built or put their shoulder behind the building of Insurewave, which now drives their cargo business. And the levels of automation and efficiency in that far outstrip anything we've got. But but it was driven by the customer saying, this is what I'm going to have. And I think there will be more of that. And I think that this understandable preoccupation with sorting out our own problems has to be tempered with the fact that we haven't got the customer at the table and the customer is not being served in any way by the end customer, by the technology we're building. That technology we're building is to facilitate a better and more efficient transaction between the broker and, and the underwriter. That's really only half the answer. The last thing I want to do is say you're building the wrong thing. I'm not saying that for a minute, but I'm saying we can't exclude the influence that the customers should be having on what we build. We have to think about what they want and understand that what we're doing now is just one step on a journey. It's not the end game.
0: And fair enough, uh, captive usage is, is up, of course. We're in harder market at the moment, and uh, obviously keep going. There's almost unlimited capital out there, and clients might go and insure themselves a bit more if we don't do it properly.
2: That's why I think that what Lloyd's is doing is really intriguing by saying um, th- this could be Darwinian, because there are some platforms featured in that report whose models are fundamentally different. You know, the tremors of this world who are programmatically matching a panel of insurers and their chosen appetite with the nature of the of the program that they've been, you know, given to place. And it's priced algorithmically and allocated algorithmically. And you think to yourself, wow, you know, that's, that's really cool. Now, it seems a long way from queuing uh, in the box at Lloyd's to get someone to sign something. But if those sort of things catch on, um, and they do because – customers really like them then maybe naturally you you get the next generation of technologies you know and 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 Lloyds and others don't have to uh sponsor them or invest in them that they just arise naturally out of this Darwinian process that I keep referring to
0: and if they're just better get better deals for clients then everyone's going to have to use them and uh, you'd be crazy not to wouldn't you
2: one of the big messages I would love to come out of the report which is if you're going to go to private enterprise and you're going to say we're not going to build a big utility that sits at the heart of the market. We're, we're going to use the things that entrepreneurs and innovators have put together. Then you have to support them. I mean, you don't support them all, but, but the ones that you like the look of and the ones that you think that can deliver on making your world more efficient, then they need both the business and they need clear direction on what it is that you want them to build and how you want them to build it. And, and the, the, you know, the, in, indisputably the biggest issue that we've had in, e-trading for the last 20 years is the inability for some well thought out platforms to get traction because the market hasn't been prepared to support them and see them through to their natural uh you know and and, and, and you know uh, the, the best example i would use of that in the report v3i is an industry consortium it's got 20 really smart insurance companies in it it's built what looks to me to be groundbreaking technology, which would automate many parts of what we do, but it has absolutely no traction uh, that I can see. And how it wins that traction, you know, I don't know. So, so this this dilemma between building the best technology and getting getting access to the transaction, most of which is owned, as we know, by the brokers, that still remains, uh, you know, who wins? Who, what, what is it that the brokers will place their bets on?
0: It's a, the a classic dilemma between, the solution looking for a problem to fix and getting that real engagement to say, tell me what your problem is and then I will fix it. And then you'll uh, use it. I wasn't
2: one of those who leapt on the kind of blockchain uh, distributed ledger technology. You know, I, I saw it had a role, but it seemed to me to be exactly in the category you've just defined. It was a, a technology looking for a problem to solve. Well, now it has solved a couple of, you know, big problems. And InsureWave has validated the use of DLT to um, provide a very efficient liquid platform for doing cargo and soon to be, it's going to soon do vaccines. So it's found its problem to solve. And now I I would imagine it goes on from
0: strength to strength. Given your long perspective in this, uh, trying to solve this problem for the industry for a couple of decades, how optimistic are you that we're really going to get things right this time? I'm an eternal optimist. I wouldn't be doing the
2: same thing I was doing 20 years ago if I didn't believe it was just round the corner. I do believe we'll get it right this time. I think the things that uh, are different, the influence of the analog era is waning. I think that's just a simple matter of 20 years on, the, the 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 age of the workforce is slightly different. I think leadership is better and needs it more. So if you look at Lloyd's, the messages are very clear. We, we, are, we are going to do this, and I think that there's a powerful way of, we're not messing around, it's not optional. This is what we have to do, and for the good of the whole market, we're going to, we're going to achieve it. And I think, you know, temporarily, uh, rates may be on the increase, and that may temper enthusiasm for a while, but fundamentally as an industry, we, we have to have it. I mean, we're running at so inefficiently and at, at a cost base that is long-term non-sustainable, that, um, you know, we may not be solving anyone else's problems, but we probably need it now, really, really need it to solve our own problems. That's always the the very best motivation for, for getting these things over the line this time. I don't want to overdo the effect of COVID-19, but it has given an, a kind of natural acceleration to this, uh, and particularly to the gloom and doom merchants who used to have to try and persuade me that, I didn't understand the unique dynamics of the London market because it was always, it had to be face to face. We've been 10 months in and it hasn't been face to face and it hasn't fallen apart. And, 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 and it hasn't necessarily all been done on trading platforms, but it, but it has slightly put a lie to the idea that, that, that it, it has to be done that way because it doesn't.
0: Robin, I think it's been a really good, hopefully a great taste for anyone listening to this to download the report and give it a full read. i dying to get back to inset london face to face i know you mentioned face to face but i think there's some things really need to be face to face inset london uh, with a glass of wine chosen by you in my hand even better uh, but thanks so much for the time yeah, and i commend everybody to read this report it's really really fascinating and written by someone who really knows what they're talking about thank you so much robin thank you
2: and thanks for giving me the chance to uh, air a few thoughts really appreciate it mark thanks
1: Well, there you go. Never a dull moment on the Instec London podcast and many thanks to Mark for picking up the microphone this week. Look out for the report on the website uh, and you can also see Robin's panel discussion where we're going to be launching the report. Links to that in the website as well. We'll be back. this coming Sunday with our next interview and I'm back in the chair for that. And of course, you can find out all about us, how to benefit from membership or sponsorship at www.instec.london or contact me, Matthew Grant on LinkedIn or any of us at hello at Instec London.